welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. Welcome back to the Wellbeing Rebellion. Today, we're going to be looking at data particularly looking at how you can measure the effectiveness of your workplace well-being strategy. Now, in today's fast-paced and ever-changing corporate landscape, businesses are increasingly recognizing the pivotal role of employee well-being in driving productivity, engagement, and overall success. A well-crafted workplace well-being strategy not only boosts employee morale, but also contributes to enhanced organizational performance. However, the true impact of such strategies can only be gauged through meticulous data analysis. By closely monitoring and measuring the effectiveness of these initiatives, businesses can make informed decisions to improve and optimize their well-being strategies, ultimately leading to a healthier, a more thriving workforce. That's what we're all here for. Employee well-being isn't a buzzword anymore. It's a fundamental aspect of a progressive workplace culture. The last few years have demonstrated the crucial significance of employee wellness, especially in the wake of the big C global health crisis. The workplace is an ecosystem where physical, mental, and emotional health converge. Companies that invest in well-being programs not only attract top talent, but also foster a culture of loyalty and longevity. That is good for the bottom line. It means you're spending less on recruitment, spending less time training up your staff to get to that optimum peak productivity and enjoying the people that are working in your business. However, to ensure that the investments yield substantial returns, a data-driven approach is essential. And I'm not one who loves numbers, but even I have to admit, numbers make a difference. Now, at Aurora, we use the 360 framework. You probably have heard us refer to this in previous episodes. It's our 360 framework, which is a model that we use to help organizations create and maintain a sustainable, comprehensive well-being strategy that actually helps to change the culture of an organization for the better. This framework is comprised of four key areas, discovery, awareness, empowerment, and governance. In this episode, we're going to focus on parts of the discovery stage, which is absolutely critical for understanding how your employees really feel about working at your company. And we're going to share some examples of key metrics and measurements that you can track and the best way to monitor them throughout your business. So how do you know your well-being strategy is working? One way is to see how engaged your employees are. Many companies do engagement surveys annually, and they're looking at how these results change in response to your well-being strategy implementation. The good indication of whether or not your well-being strategies have been successful, have been effective. Now, we all know engaged employees are more likely to be enthusiastic about their work, 
exhibit higher levels of commitment and contribute positively to their teams. Now, the Gallup State of the Global Workplace Report found that organizations where or organizations with highly engaged employees outperform their peers by 147% in earnings per chair. 147%. So engagement pays. Engagement pays. And a data-driven approach can track engagement level over time and can correlate them with the implementation of specific well-being intervention that you put in place, providing a clear picture of the strategy's impact. Otherwise, you're just spaghetti at the wall kind of um, effect comes to mind. So finding effective and efficient ways to measure employee well-being in the workplace is essential for any business seeking to promote employee engagement and drive productivity. So collecting data like this will enable organizations to identify any issues in brewing in the workforce and who particularly is affected by them. It will help identify whether there are trouble spots or trouble departments or areas of particularly good practice, areas where it's just really doing well, so you can learn from that. It also demonstrates possible impact of these issues, so the resources, reputation, financials, those kind of things. And it does strengthen the business case for additional support from the senior leadership team. It informs the company's health and wellbeing strategy, and it targets interventions and key areas for improvement. There's no way this doesn't work. So we're going to give a few things that you could measure. Um, and the first one is absences. I think that's the top one. A lot of people recognize this. It's the simplest method for tracking productivity loss. Recording the reasons for absences and sickness. Simple, effective way of measuring the well-being of your employee. The data might show recurring themes of stress-related absences which can then be used to target specific support. For example, if you observe a number of employees taking off to deal with family emergency, you can use the data to provide solutions such as flexible working. Especially now, we have a lot of uh, people looking after elderly relatives. That might be something where you're thinking they're not necessarily off sick, but they're taking time off work to support somebody else. That could give an idea of a way to support them. What about staff turnover? Yeah. So staff turnover is an obvious indicator that your employee well-being is, uh, let's say, troubled. Having a high staff turnover is very costly. We talked about recruitment costs, which are astronomical at the moment. And my husband does work in recruitment, so I'm speaking from some experience. But it's a strong indication that employees aren't happy working within your company. So by measuring it, you're giving an insight into your workplace culture and employee satisfaction. But how do you measure it? Do you measure it with a level of granularity that allows you to see if there is a particular department or team that is struggling? Is there one bad apple in the whole bunch that is causing a problem? And is there, for instance, some qualitative data to go with the quantitative numbers that can support the need for investment or training in a particular area. This is something that is probably underutilized. We focus so much about just replacing the resource, 
but let's understand truly why that resource left. Was it a regrettable departure? So this kind of information is something that we can certainly focus on when we're looking at how effective our well-being strategy, our engagement strategy is. So the third thing that we can measure is the self-referrals. So self-referrals to your EAP and services that you offer. So you want to be able to track your EAP and external support users. Now, you wouldn't know who's who because obviously it's confidential, but you should be able to see the numbers. Now, the research has shown that EAP users is low, but actually in terms of health, private health insurance, if you did have that, you might start to see a number creeping up there, but it just allows you to see whether support services you have in place are being used to the maximum effect by your employees. You're not using it, then you need to encourage them to use it. Um, by comparing the percentage of monetary referrals, it might indicate whether you need to do more work to raise awareness on the support on offer. Um, and of course, the majority of companies that we've asked said that they're, you know, they're not really, people aren't using it as much. Basically. Less than 10%, yeah. less than eight, to be honest, yeah. is the average usage rate yeah so you want to think about well how can you make your eap work harder for you you're already paying for it mm. um and a third of employees report poor mental health in the organization but that's not the number we're seeing on the eap end is it so it, it either should match or it's close to it to say that people they're struggling and they're receiving help in some way as opposed to they're struggling and they're just sitting there not doing much about that that will drop she did say sitting sitting what did i say it sounded like the S word. Oh, no. Sorry, I meant sitting. Sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Festering. Yeah. S-T. They sound the same to me. Sorry about that. Okay. Next point. Moving along. Moving along. Well, also, I would like to say this point about EAPs. We mention it all the time in training. All the time. Because like Obi said, you're paying for this service any service which you are paying for, which was being so vastly underutilized, you'd question in your monthly expenses. So I, I take this opportunity to remind you guys as HR leads and business leaders, have you used your EAP? When was the last time you called them? Before you start encouraging your staff to, yeah, just go and call the EAP, make sure you know that the EAP, you call them, you call find them. out what the service levels you can expect are, find out how quickly they answer the phone. Is the number that you're giving out, is it actually the right one? What can they offer? What can they do to help an employee who's struggling? Which areas of expertise do they cover? Yeah. Figure out your stuff before you pass it on to other people. Yeah. So make sure you know what your EAP covers. I think uh, that's just that, one thank you reminder. For adding that, actually. And also, because it's still Black History Month, we're still in October. So also, what support are, does your EAP have for your black staff? Is there anything specific they can offer? Some of these, this is the right time to ask the question. Because if they can't offer it or they don't offer it, they can help source some of that services out for you. And if they're not prepared to do that, then you know you're going to replace them the next year, right? So mm-hmm. I just wanted to just add that. It's just whatever you can do for the pocket of the demographic of people that you have in your organization to make sure that they actually have support for them and they're covered. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another thing that you can measure, which I think sometimes we overlook, is the actual training and support that you're providing. Yeah. You're you're investing in training your employees on good mental health, I presume. If you're listening to the Wellbeing Rebellion, I presume that's something that you're doing. And it's proven that the 
implementation of individual well-being strategies is linked to higher levels of performance and increased productivity for employees. So if you are doing the work to invest in training and support for, for individuals and employees, then are you measuring that? Um, so what training do you do, first of all? How often do you do it? What are the attendance levels at these events? Yeah. This kind of information will help to indicate whether the services that you're offering or the support and training that you're offering is actually interesting to your employees, mm -hmm. relevant, and whether it helps contribute to your overall well-being strategy or not. So how are you measuring the training and support that you have offered already? Yeah. And also the implementation of those trainings. So how do you know that they're learning from it? How do you know that they're utilizing it? So look at the problem I have with one and done workshops and things, because there's no way to track it. It's too short to track. But if you've invested in transformational programs and workshops and things within your organization, then you should be able to track the participant who took place, who did them a few months down the line and ask them how they're getting on with it and how it's working. And that's something that maybe your L and D team can do but if you're a small organization small size and you don't have an lnd then this might be something that still sits with hr or uh, people or whatever just something that said we've invested in this training could you tell us how it helped you and whether it's been effective for you and we would recommend it again to you know another cohort of employees for example so i'm going to add that there as well mm. so the fifth thing to measure would be your employee's feedback okay feedback is important regular workplace surveys. So if you do an annual survey, that's not enough. You need to do it more regularly. And I would say three to four times a year. It might sound like, oh my God, it seems like a lot. It's not a lot because we're trying to train your people to get used to seeing those questions, get used to being more and more honest as they get used to it. Because that first one, I call it shitty first draft. The first one is then probably not the right one. did say shitty. Yeah, I did say shitty this time. <laughs> shitty first draft. Um, and because it's the, it's the first one that said where people were thinking, mm, do I really want to answer this or not? But by the time you do the second time, three months later, they remember the question. They probably remember how they responded last time, but they might feel differently this time. But the more you do it, the more you get a truer picture of what your people mm. really feel and how and their attitude towards work. Okay, so this, just getting that, you get a proper, again, true picture of what people are experiencing and their satisfaction. So I don't want you to collate just use surveys. So when you're collecting data, don't just use this annual surveys or full-time surveys. I want you to also diversify a little bit. So when you're collecting data, which is important, don't just use surveys. So you're going to diversify a bit. To get a true reading, utilize both quantitative data, such as your absenteeism rate, turnover rate, engagement survey results, all of that stuff to measure the impact of the strategy, but also utilize qualitative data points to employee surveys, right, by asking additional comments. So if you must use a survey, at some point at the end, just add additional comments, um, something they want to share, so just so that you can at least get a feel or a temperature check for something. Then they wanted to also use focus groups, different people, different departments, different um, levels of um, seniority, that kind of thing. One-on-one -on -one interviews where you can, return to work interviews, exit interviews. I wouldn't say stay interviews. Stay interviews also like focus with common people. 
what are, what's happening with them. So qualitative data offers an insight into subjective experiences and perception um, of employees, helping them to understand this strategic impact of their well-being. If it makes sense, they can they, they remember the question, they can reflect more, they can give you real-time response to how they're really feeling. So once you've got all that data, what do you do next? So you've collected all this valuable data. Now what? There is absolutely no point in asking for input if you're not going to do anything with the results. It's the quickest way to piss off and <laughs> alienate your people, right? What you do with your data is just as important as the accuracy and legitimacy of the information that you've gathered. So think about who you're going to share the results with, when, how, and most importantly, why? What is the the purpose of this information gathering process. How are you gonna share this information with your leadership so that it can help drive further investment where it's most needed? What are you going to communicate back to your employee population and when? Think through these questions before you start rolling out any surveys so that you can ensure that you're getting the most bang for your buck. We talked about this a bit in an earlier episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion called Understanding Your Place in the Boardroom, which aired on the 13th of March. So go and have a look at it, check it out and refresh your mind on what we said. And also keep your ears pricked and your eyes wide open because we're likely going to revisit this topic um, and do another episode about how you can build the business case for investment early in the new year. So listen out for that. And we'll put a link to the show notes in the show notes to the uh, understanding of place in the boardroom episode. So you don't even have to go and search. No. You guys, you can just click on it. So to conclude, there is an old adage, an old saying that goes, what gets measured gets managed. And I love that. It's, it's particularly true when it comes to our workplace wellbeing strategies. A proactive approach to measuring the effectiveness of these initiatives isn't just advisable, it's imperative. Data-driven insights provide a clear roadmap for organizations to tailor and optimize their well-being strategies, ultimately fostering healthier, happier, and more productive employees. By tracking employee engagement, health metrics, absenteeism trends, qualitative feedback, Organizations can make informed decisions that positively impact both their workforce and their bottom line. As businesses continue to navigate a dynamic landscape, the wise choice is to follow the numbers, embracing the role of data analysis as the cornerstone of workplace well-being strategies. And that's coming from a number folk. Through this approach, companies can create a culture where employees thrive, innovation flourishes, and success becomes a natural, consequential outcome. In the journey towards a brighter workplace future, data is the compass that guides us towards a holistic and sustainable approach to well-being. It lets us know that we're investing our time, energy, and money in the right places at the right time. So 
do you want to know how well your or how effective your company well-being strategy is? I'm going to invite you to take the Aurora 360 quiz. It's going to be in the show notes, so click on that. The result it's a five-minute survey. Um, it's not even that long actually. Yeah. Two so minutes. It, yeah, it's two minutes. No, well, I'll say three. Okay. <laughs> Let's make <laughs> a difference. The difference. <laughs> so the result will help you as a HR leader to understand just to see how effective this employee wellbeing strategy you put in place compares to industry standard and best practice. Okay, so you're going to get a breakdown of the score for each category. Remember, discovery, awareness, empowerment, and governance, along with some personalized feedback to help you improve your company employee wellbeing strategy. So again, link in the show notes, take the quiz, and let's see how you get on. Yeah, let us know how you score, um, because we're curious. We want to know how your wellbeing is working for you. So once again, thanks for listening, Rebels, and we will speak to you very soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.